Welcome to the SCMS Classical Conversations podcast, recorded live at the Seattle Chamber Music Society's 2019 Summer Festival. I'm Dave Beck. I hope you enjoy these in-depth conversations with festival musicians. You can find more episodes at seattlechambermusic.org and at king.org and most podcasting platforms. Please rate and review us wherever you listen and enjoy this latest classical conversation. Tenor Nicholas Pond was one of the artists at the 2019 SCMS Summer Festival. He's the director of Collaborative Arts Institute of Chicago, an organization dedicated to the neglected art of leader, or art song. In part two of our conversation, Nick talks about his Grammy-nominated leader recording, part of which is devoted to hair-raising songs about witches and scary characters. Another section in Gods and Monsters is devoted to scary creatures of the night, and I've, I've chosen a Mendelssohn song here called Hexenlied, or Witch's Song, and maybe you can, as you, as you flip through and <laughs> remind my, yourself... My cheat sheet here, yeah, um, uh, Remind us what is happening in the song, or how did it leave such a strong impression on you as you, you know, rehearsed it, learned it, and performed it? The first time I heard this song, actually, was just south of here at Chamber Music Northwest. David... Schifrin had asked me to put together a set of Mendelssohn songs, and I was not super familiar with Mendelssohn songs, and this was the one that really struck out to me just because the music is so exciting, and it's a really just, from a musical standpoint, just an exciting piece of music to listen to and fun to sing. And then when I was looking for things to sort of fit this theme in, in, in the album, this was perfect because mm-hmm. it's a song about a bunch of druid witches preparing for this rite of spring thing that they're about to do, and they're gathering their ingredients, and it's, it's very night on a bald mountain kind of yeah, music. Exactly. We'll listen and talk a bit more about it here. Ich bin hier, leise auf der Tür, ihr Jod, heiße, zum prächtigen Tag. 
That's a wild two-minute ride. Yeah, it's, I mean, it really feels sort of, you know, you can hear the witches flying and on yeah. their broomsticks. It's yeah. pretty amazing. And very, very rangy and I get, you know. Uh, yes, it is extremely rangy. That was a very stressful few minutes in the recording studio. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it came off beautifully. Well, Thrilling you. stuff. I, I always um, think of those um, stories we hear of Mendelssohn and his sister doing plays out in the backyard. I, I see a composer of great fascination for you because I, I think of your love for, for languages and music and all the, um, you know, being the... Um, uh, offspring of of university people, um, yeah. And, you know, did, did, I don't know if you do. You have a special relationship to Mendelssohn? How you think of him? You or? know, I. It's funny. I, as a singer, we don't encounter him very much, except for mm. in Elijah. And mm -hmm. uh, I, there's actually so much beautiful music that I would love to do of his that you know, with orchestra in particular, that you just don't get a chance to do because people don't want to po program, you know, Paulus or these other oratorios. I had an interesting um, concert with the New York Phil uh, like eight or nine years ago where we did, we paired Bach and Mendelssohn and we did the Bach Magnificat and then we did a Mendelssohn Magnificat and then there was this amazing, uh, there are these excerpts from this oratorio he was writing at the time called Christus when he didn't finish it and it's supposed to sort of be like a Christmas story, mm. um, kind of an oratorio and there's this beautiful trio at the beginning for the three wise men characters and it's gorgeous and it was so fun to be able to get to do that, and there's so much of that, but I feel like he's an undersold composer. Yeah. I mean, we, we sort of get his symphonies a lot, and we get that piano trio, which is amazing, Yeah, but that's kind of it. I know, that's, and that's as someone raised as a cellist and an instrumentalist, when, when I come, you know, I'm on the air and I play a uh, Schubert symphony and I've got two minutes left in the hour, and it's like, oh, I get to you know, play this Schubert song that I've never heard before. Right. I mean, hundreds of them to, ch to choose from. I mean, it's just such a... Um, rich source of discovery. Yeah, and I think that's, the, I mean, it's, this, it's the same thing for just art song in general. A lot mm -hmm. of these composers were really trying things out that they were experimenting with techniques that they were going to eventually use in their larger works. And you know, I think I said at the talk back the other day, um, you know, if Debussy hadn't written his 80 songs, we probably wouldn't have La Mer, or we wouldn't have oh. a Prelude to the Afternoon of a Fawn, mm -hmm. or we would not have Peleas and Melisande. It's... The, that's where he was trying these things out and sort of figuring, finding his voice. And a lot of these composers are the same way. Yeah. Schubert, in particular, would have been so amazing to see what he would have done had he lived beyond 31 yeah. and actually accomplished writing the opera he always wanted and dreamed of writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you talked about the, the Marilyn Horn Foundation or what, that, Foundation. about that particular circumstance in leading you in, in some way to art songs. You know, I've got to find these art songs for this, this, this outreach program. But what else drives you in that area of focusing so much attention on leader and art song? What are, what are other things that you know, compel you there? There are a couple of things. Uh, firstly, when I, was, when I started studying voice, I was mostly given art songs because my teacher did not want to start me with opera. She understandably wanted me to wait until I was about 20 before I started singing opera arias. And so I started learning how to sing with art songs primarily, as well as a few Handel oratorio pieces. And that's kind of where I sort of got my feet wet loving singing. And that's sort of where I feel like my roots are in a way. And then the other thing is as a player, when I was playing a violin or a viola, I always loved chamber music. I loved 
sight reading, Haydn string quintets, quartets, and you know, chamber things, uh, Mendelssohn string quartets at one mm -hmm. point. Yeah. And there was something about that kind of music making that we just don't really get as a singer unless you're doing the art song or the vocal chamber music. Mm. As singers, there's always a conductor feeding you information or telling you what to do. Um, there's often a director that's telling you what to do if you're doing an opera. And you, in terms of what you do, it's who casts you for what. So other mm. people are making those decisions. And then in the opera house, there's always a coach there to help you, you know, sort of learn your music and figure your languages out. And it's, there's the voice teacher. It's, art song is really the primary place where we get to be independent right. and are forced to be independent and autonomous. And I think it's really valuable. And, you know, I started, when I left school, I was really fortunate and started working right away. And I was taken into the Houston Grand Opera Studio, which was, an extraordinary opportunity. I mean, I hadn't even finished my master's degree and then suddenly I'm standing on stage in operas with people like Susan Graham and Renee Fleming and Bryn Terfel. And that was thrilling. And because of that path, I got a lot of training in the opera house and then I started doing a lot of opera when I got out of the studio. And my, the first, you know, five to 10 years of my career were largely heavily opera-based. And in about 2007, I was invited to go to the Marlboro Music Festival, and I had been running around, and I was singing a lot of Rossini at the time, which kind of gives me a rash, to be truthful. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I would be away for these six, seven, sometimes 13-week jaunts working on an opera in the opera house. And I got to Marlboro, and I really wasn't sure what to make of it, because Marlboro Music Festival is a very special place where it's all chamber music, and the, the ethos is that, at least in rehearsal, everybody is an equal. Mm -hmm. So there is no you know, coach. There is not supposed to be a conductor. There's the senior members of the group, you know, even if it's Mitsuko Chida, is supposed to be your equal when you're working with that person. And so there's supposed to be an even exchange of ideas, mm. which is really daunting because you have to bring something to the table when you're working with musicians like that. And I just wasn't, you know, I, going into it, I arrived, I mean, the conditions were, I mean, to use the word rustic, it does not even begin to describe how, how rough it was. Um, and I wasn't really, you know, I, I sort of felt a little like school, and I sort of felt like I'm kind of beyond school, like, what am I doing here? And then we started diving in, and I just realized this is really what got me started. This it kind of, the whole experience took me back to those art song roots from the beginning and those chamber music. Yeah roots from, you know, and instrumental roots, really, as a teenager, and when I fell in love with music. And that's when I realized this is really, this is the thing that sort of lights my fire. I love all the operatic work I do. I love, I love, love, love the orchestral work that I do, but this is really special, mm -hmm. and, you know, it's, I just realized I, I had a passion for it there. Do you think you're kind of an outlier in the vocal world in that sense, having come up as a chamber musician, you know, studied violin quite seriously, played chamber music, played in orchestras, loving the inner voices, um, and then having this, this collaborative uh, experience at, at Marlboro. I mean, is that part of the reason you are um, so focused on, on art song, and does that sort of set you apart from your colleagues? 
I think it sets me apart from some. I mean, I, I, do, I do feel like I do have other colleagues who are pretty committed to it as well, and um, who grew up playing, a lot of them were pianists or string players. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's not, there are, there are types of singers for sure. And, you know, the, the, the ones who tend to sort of stay in the opera house most of the time, that's where they're most comfortable, and they often are the people who came to it, came to music late and didn't play, and don't have an instrumental background necessarily. Mm. And, you know, they function really well in the opera house and that's where they are most passionate. I, yeah, I mean, I do, it's been a unique path. I mean, I have to say it's been very different from a lot of my colleagues around me. Yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing that's sort of made it different is uh, deciding to found the Institute, in, the Song Institute in Chicago. That's yeah. really been a, that was a huge turning point. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Classical Conversations podcast. This podcast is a co-production of Seattle Chamber Music Society and King FM. Bill Levy is our recording engineer. The show is produced by Nikhil Sarma and co-produced by Daisha Clay. To learn more, go to seattlechambermusic.org or to king.org. Rate and review our podcast when you listen. And thanks for joining this latest Classical Conversation.